Hi everyone, hope you're having a great day. On the show today, we have JJ Ford, who is one of the greatest managers around. He's been in the music industry for 25 years. He'll be giving us a deep behind the scenes on what it means to be a manager and things to look for when bringing people around you. And this is very important, we've touched on this before, but the people you have around you need to be worth trusting. JJ will also be sharing lots of great stories from his life, which will teach you different lessons, so make sure you get a notepad out and take some notes. If you have any questions or want to learn more about managing artists, send us a message on Instagram or Facebook at Musicpreneur Movement, and we'd love to see how we can help. All right, so here's my interview with JJ Ford. Cue the intro. Have you ever looked in the mirror and wondered, yikes, I thought I'd be way farther ahead of my music career by now? If so, you're not alone. I spent the last few years learning from the most ingenious musicians and managers around, looking for the answers. The problem is that music is a very personal thing and the fear of rejection was holding me back, and you can probably relate to that. I realized that no one was talking about their failures and rejections in the music business, just the glory and fame. So I decided to press the reset button and start this whole music thing over, to go all out build a music career completely from scratch. But the real question is, how will I do it? Join me on my journey as we get to the deep questions with our guests that no one cares to ask to reveal the secret strategies and techniques to skyrocket your music career and begin to shake up the music industry as we know it. My name is Eddie Villaseca, and this is Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Welcome back to the Musicpreneur Movement Podcast. Today we have JJ Ford on the show. He was raised in Bakersfield, California. He's been in the music industry for about 25 years as a road manager, manager and talent broker, working with people such as Keith Urban, Wade Hayes, Emerson Drive, Blake Shelton, just to name a few. He's also studied music business and is the founder of UMI Upload Music Institute, which is an online music business education company. So Welcome to the show, JJ. How you doing? Good, man. How you doing? I'm great. How's how's everything going in in Cali Town? It's smoky, as you can imagine. We're very smoky out here right now with all the fires. But um, yeah, I actually read an good, article man. about that. So yeah, how... I just yeah, it's crazy. I just got off the phone with my dad. He's his band is playing a show this weekend. We're going out for. We have a show on Friday night. Then we're doing we're driving five hours the next morning to do his show and everything's on fire. I'm like, are you still doing a show? And he's like, I think so. I'm wow. like, all right, go for it, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy. So how'd you get started in the whole music business? Was it something you were surrounded by growing up or just tell us a little I bit was, about that? Yeah, I was in a very unique situation. My grandfather played uh, guitar in a country band that was pretty famous uh, in the late 40s, early 50s. And then my whole family was musical. Both of my grandfathers played and were uh, songwriters. So my whole life, I was surrounded by music. And when I went to family gatherings, my grandparents' whole room was guitars, bass, piano, mandolins, fiddles. So we played music our whole life. And my other grandfather played drums and piano. And so on both sides, there was not one person that didn't play music. All aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody. Wow. So it was, that's kind of how I, our family was. So what, did you start out playing an instrument? I did. My granddad taught me to play guitar. And when I was probably about nine years old, he started teaching me chords. And then on Sunday mornings, what he would do after church was he would go to the old folks' homes around the area and he would preach. Mm -hmm. And he thought it'd be really funny 
and really interesting because he had a really funny sick sense of humor. <laughs> and he thought, and he used to tell me like, all the old ladies are going to dig it if I take you around there playing, playing guitar. I'm like 12 years old. Uh-huh. So I'm playing my three chords and I'm playing Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. And I'm playing like three chords off and I can't sing. And these little ladies are coming up, pinching my cheeks. You look like my grandson. And I'm, so that's how I got started with my granddad playing old folks homes. Uh-huh. So it ended up, yeah. it worked. It did. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. Okay. So what was your transition into, you know, I guess growing up, did you always want to be involved in the music business? Was there something that drew you towards music after growing up, being around it for so long? Ironic story. Um, I played in bands in high school and did that whole thing, played mm-hmm. in church, played in some local bands. And one of my closest friends, his grandpa was a famous country artist named Buck Owens. And I ended up working with Buck. And to this day, I still manage his son. So we have my granddad played radio shows with him in the 40s. And we have a relationship, the family, 70 years later. Wow. Um, we're four generations deep on the uh, relationship working with their family. So I was always around it. We were always doing it. A lot of our friends were in bands and I kind of just kind of, I played and had fun, but then I was an athlete. So I played minor league baseball. So I got hurt playing rookie ball and I had no, I had no education, no money, no nothing. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? And it kind of was a, a force into the music business because I didn't have any job skills. <laughs> That's really what it was. And I, I knew music, I knew sports and, you know, they gave me a job in music and it was just kind of a starting point. And I, and so that kind of was a, I had played a little bit and had fun with it. I never saw it as a career, but then all of a sudden it was like, I started doing it. I'm like, I'm in my early twenties. I'm like, this is fascinating. This is really interesting. So that's kind of how I got thrown into it. Okay. So I, there are a lot of people in that are listening right now that actually might, I mean, they probably didn't play baseball, but they had a different career before so what was that mindset was there you mentioned before that you didn't see yourself in the music business like was there a mindset change that you're like hey I could make this a career at that point no clue um Mm -hmm. early on it was I need a job and I get to hang out with music meet girls and play music and it just made complete sense at the time made like it was a no-brainer I've always for the most part, lived a pretty controlled life, but I was like, I can go out, have a few beers, be around country music and meet girls. And so I'm like, this is a great thing to do while I figure out what I want to do. It just kind of kept going. And it, and it just really didn't click until kind of what happened for me was I was always an entrepreneur. I was always into the entrepreneurial spirit and there were opportunities within the music business that I found that a lot of the other musicians they didn't think business-wise. They just thought, mm. I, they're thinking about pedal boards. I was thinking about how do we sell more merch? So our mindsets were different, even though we were in the same clique. As I realized that, I realized that 99% of artists were just like, hey, man, um, I'm going to try the new elixirs, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I got this new effects pedal, and that was all they were concerned about. Mm. And I'm like, nobody is paying attention to the dollars and the cents and the business and the contracts, and so... That really intrigued me. And then I got to a point where I was working, I was living in Nashville at this time. I was working with a lot of bigger artists. I was really fascinated by the music, like the, the business part of it. As they always say, there's the show and the business. And the business started becoming much more intriguing to me. And as I kind of stepped into that, I started road managing and doing merchandise on tour. I always say that the turning point for me was I was driving, I was road managing, I was doing merch and I was playing for an act who was signed and I was getting $175 a day with $50 travel base thinking this math doesn't add up. Mm. 
And that was really my push into management. But for years, I was doing all these different roles and learning. Um, I always say in the, it was really funny living in Nashville at a time when websites were really starting to come out. There's no band in the world that doesn't really have a website or, you know, using social media direct or whatever it might be that they're doing. But I remember those times when, um, you ever heard of the, the, like the company Bandzoogle? They're like a huge, they, all they do is design templates for websites right out of Canada. Oh, okay. And they're one of the biggest uh, website, little plug there, but they're one of the biggest website companies for bands. Well, I remember them when they first started and the owner and I would get on the phone going, dude, I don't, I don't understand the functionality here. And I'm sitting in the back room in Nashville going, I need a five page website that like has a picture of a t-shirt where they can send us a cashier's check and I can go down to UPS and, and send them a t-shirt. And it was the most old school antiquated thing, but that was when there was no websites, there was no social media. And so I remember diving into like, oh man forget credit card processing on the road, forget websites, any of that stuff, nothing existed. Mm. You know what I mean? We were back in the, like, take a piece of paper and send it around the crowd to get their email addresses. <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's, that's true shit right there. But, mm-hmm. um, but it was like funny because that was how it was. And so to go from there, it was like a process of seeing how the industry was evolving. And then when MySpace came out, it was like, it was mm-hmm. on. So that was where I got really fascinated, where it was the combination of technology, the music, and the business, and it just got really interesting really fast. Yeah, I still remember, I think it was, I think my first concert was in sixth grade, and I remember the merch shop area, like a little table they had. <laughs> it's like, yeah, buy something, a CD, and then you had to write down your email. Yeah, that's crazy to think how much it's changed. So you really liked the business. Was this before or after you went to school for business? Long, long before. As an entrepreneur, I started realizing the math. I was always mm-hmm. really good at math. And um, I remember a band, I had a band called Neural, which was on Atlantic Records out of LA. And they had just gotten signed. We are getting ready to tour. We had just uh, done the uh, band's warp tour. And they were talking about merchandise. They weren't making a lot of money. You know, there wasn't money. And I said, let's do your merch in-house. They're like, okay. So I called them up and I said, guys, I got a new warehouse. Come over. And they were like, why? I'm like, you're going to silk screen your own t-shirts. They're like, huh? So I'm like, yeah. we're going to get on the press and we're, you're going to help me make some t-shirts and throw them to the dryer. And they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, but here's the deal. We're going to make shirts for three bucks a shirt and sell them for 20 to 25 bucks. You're not, you're going to save 10 bucks a shirt. Mm-hmm. So every 20 fans, you're going to make an extra $200 a night. The math started making sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I would go on Craigslist and buy a silkscreen machine. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. I was just thinking of any way. Um, I remember too, it was really funny. The first time I started making tour shirts from a business perspective, they were like, if you can't afford a $600 conveyor dryer for your merch, they said you can use a paint gun from like Home Depot. They used a paint stripper. So we've got like paint stripper guns that we got like pulled out of the garage from dad's garage. And we're like blow drying t-shirts because of the uh-huh. heat and it, like crazy stuff. And then I was like, okay, I need, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is saving us money, but this is ridiculous. Yeah. So then I kind of started thinking about it and I was doing more and more of the business side. And um, kind of what happened to me was my mom ran a law firm. She was the office manager of a law firm. And what I realized was I was having to go to people to ask a lot of questions. What does this terminology mean? What does this mean? I need this checked out. And I knew I would look at a contract and know something was off, but I would not know what it was. So I just thought about it. And I started thinking more and more. And so I'm like, I need to go back to school. 
I don't need to go to law school for to have a complete law degree, but I need to be certified in like contract law and entertainment. So I started going back to school going, okay, I've got to study things that I need. And for me, it ended up being contract law, data science, music business. And actually right now I'm, I'm re-enrolled in school and I'm studying sustainable business, which is basically the connection of a for-profit business to a nonprofit. And how are we changing the future and using our for-profit business to make a change in the world around us? And I actually really was interested in that because of Scooter Braun, Justin Bieber's manager. Mm -hmm. And he's an amazing, amazing guy. And, and it was just an inspiration to see how what they're doing with their nonprofits, you know. And so um, education for me has been an evolution. And it's been important because it wasn't like what's really interesting in music is that I don't think people need to see a degree to trust you. Right. Like, a, like if you're doing business with a company, they kind of want to know you've got half a brain. But I think the information was key. Like, mm -hmm. what does this mean in a contract? What does this term mean? Because I was, it wasn't about like going, hey, look, I have this you know, degree or certification. It was like, I need to know what that means so that I can protect you, so that I can protect us. And so it became very literal as you get threatened with lawsuits or there's issues at a venue as the, the booking rates and the situations got bigger, the need for protection became bigger. And so all those things kind of compiled into this, like, I need to know about the contracts. I need to know about merch deals. And even now to this day, some of my friends will on the side go, hey, can you look at this? I mean, major bands will go, can you look at this? I don't trust my attorney. Like, we made this deal with this certain big company, and it doesn't make sense. And I'll look at it and go, yeah, you got screwed. And they're like, that's what I thought. And then you find mm -hmm. out, like, oh, the attorney was one of the guy's cousins in the band or something. And you're like, so it's just the information and the knowledge is power, right. you know, and that's why we started UMI. It was actually to inform people, you know, like just everyday people and go, look, I'm on your side. I'm a guy who loves music. I love the music business. And I wanted people to be informed about like, this is how you protect yourself. This is, you know, your rights. This is how you make more money. This is how we keep our industry going successfully. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's something that I've noticed, you know, you made the point of, artists just focusing on musicians just focusing on the art and then not really caring about the business side or not or thinking that someone else should be taking care of it and the people that we've had on they've mentioned like hey it's really important for musicians to know their music but also the business side because they're I mean they're going to be the best person to care for their own music so like you mentioned you started the institute is that also for musicians like you think it's really important for them to get like an in-depth uh, part of that? Do you want the truth to that answer? Yes. We originally, did, I designed it with another musician. We were sitting in Hollywood talking about the need for musicians to be educated. This person has sold over 20 million records and I won't name him, but we were talking about it and we said, we need to do this. The original push and promotion was towards musicians. And what we found is musicians, I apologize in advance to every musician listening to this, musicians are arrogant and they think they know it all. And so what happened is, is the more we tried to educate musicians and say, I'm not a great guitar player, but I'm good at the music business. Let me teach you how to make more money and be better. Musicians who are weekend warriors going, um, well, I'm a musician and I know what I'm doing. And I go, no, you're a plumber and you make a hundred bucks a weekend playing an acoustic gig down at the wine shop. Mm -hmm. But they can, the guy playing a hundred bucks, show at the wine shop would consider himself to be the equivalent of Steven Tyler or whoever. 
And that would be their attitude. And I'm like, you don't know, you have a clue of what's going on, but their arrogance kept them from being able to accept mm -hmm. the information. We switched the kind of the direction when I had a mom come to me and she said, I want my son to go through this program because the way you design this program, there's a lot of business tools, a lot of like life tools in there that will help my son, whether it becomes a rock star, goes to work in another company or takes over our family business. Some of the tools you're teaching them will be beneficial to them no matter what they do. Mm. And the parent, I had more and more parents coming out of the woodwork going, we love this for our kids. And I was like, that's fascinating. I then started researching because I had friends at MI and Hollywood or, you know, different places and nobody was really teaching business. They're like, here's how to play the trombone. Do you care about their finances, their future? They're like, here's how to play the trombone. Okay. But they're going to need into this. This is how you mix a song. Okay. But they're broke. And this is how you play the trombone. And it was almost like a broken record. It was basically the broken system of musicians te teaching the broken system of musicians then those guys get into management. So you've got tiers of people that are just, they don't know what they're doing in the business side. And they weren't able to teach each other because they don't know. So that kind of led into what we realized was um, we have kids around us. I, I work with a lot of social media kids too. So basically what happened was I had to relearn how to approach artists. They weren't going to listen to the information. You know, it's the idea like if we say this, if I, if I tell somebody, you know, um, one of my kids, perfect example, one of my own kids is a social media influencer. Mm -hmm. We're at his house, you know, and he's going, hey, man, what do I do about this and that? And he's talking to his buddies. And so his mother and I were going, here's what you do. And it made no sense, even though he's around the information all the time. And then finally, I said, look, I want you to do this for one of my artists. I'm going to send you some money. Do this post. Do this. Boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden he's like, oh my, oh, that's cool. Like all of a sudden there's like hundreds of dollars in my account in minutes. Mm -hmm. It took me 10 minutes to make a post. Now there's a physical, like there's a legitimate connection. Like you're not telling me what to do that may or may not happen. I'm going, look, do this. I'm going to Venmo you in 10 seconds, so much money. And mm -hmm. then you're going to do a post. You want to do it again? And he's going, hmm. When kids, you know, especially I say kids, I'm old, you know, but when I talk to young people and say, you could do this and you could replace your income, especially like the kids who are using social media as a platform for music. Mm -hmm. And they go, um, well, so-and-so gave me 50 bucks and a t-shirt to give a shout out. And I did five posts and I'm like, what's wrong with you? That's horrible. You got 7 million hits on that video and you got 50 bucks. Yeah. And, and so the hard part is I have to go, I'm going to pay you 200 bucks and I don't care what the results are. And it's going to take you one post. One post, 200 bucks, and I don't care what the results are. This guy's going, well, I'll give you another 50 bucks, but if I only do this, and if you do this, and you do this, I'm going, do whatever you want. I'll pay you four times the money, and I don't care about the results. I'll take you a fraction of the time. Then it's, a, it's actually a, a thing that we did, and so they go, oh, I actually got the money, and I did this. That makes sense. So you start connecting the dots of if I do this, I get paid. If I do this, I don't get paid. And what, one of the things that I think is interesting about this generation coming up, and I'm going to say, because I think a lot of people that are really getting interested in the music business are young. Old people, we're, we're setting our ways for the most part. We're doing our thing. But the problem is I saw a thing on the news yesterday. What is it like more than any other generation in history, the young people are living at home. They're making money and living at home. So they have no bills. Mommy and daddy are paying all the bills. They have disposable income. 
they're using social media as an ego boost, not as an income stream. Mm -hmm. So what do you do when someone says, for example, when I look at my cost of living and a kid thinks he's making it and I go, well, if, if your budget without your parents is 6,000 a month, but they cover $5,200 of your budget, yes, you can work part-time and feel like you're, you're killing it because that's all social, that's all just fun money. And right. especially during COVID, they're throwing money at you. And so it's interesting to like understand how do you teach someone a business model when everybody is paying their bills and they have to do nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very tough environment to train in. It's a yeah. very, very tough environment to where um, you teach about budgets and how much it costs to tour and do stuff because they look at it and go, well, dad, let me borrow the truck. And my buddy's dad had a trailer and my uncle gave us a sound system and I got the guitar for Christmas, mm-hmm. and but I'm self-sufficient because I buy my own guitar strings at Guitar Center. And you're like, okay, there's 17 bucks for a pair of elixirs. Yeah. And you're like, but that's the hardest part about it is that connecting the dots of the mental game of what does it really take to make it versus the perception of making it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's a good point because I feel like most people – you know, like we were mentioned, I was mentioning to you earlier how growing up, even though I've been in music since I was little, like I started playing really young, I had this mentality of, okay, there's the really famous musicians and then there's everybody else trying to make it. And so we have this perception of I'm going to be successful once I get to their level, but no one sees the behind the scenes of what's really going on on how someone can get there or there are other people that they're making a great living, but they're just not wanting to be up on television or all those things. And you're saying it's like a big perception type of thing and a big mindset. Since you do work as a manager and all those things, could you tell us like a little bit of like your day-to-day life and what that's like? Um, I want to touch on a point you just said before that mm-hmm. when you talked about there's right. the, the successful artists up here and there's everybody else making it we created a formula and I created this with a couple of guys that are both platinum artists with number one songs and done very well. And they were artists that did very well before they had a platinum album or a number one song. We kind of created a formula that if you can get a hundred fans in 10 markets, you can make six figures a year based on duplication and social media. The problem is most people look the way you said, it's either you're, you're post Malone or you're a bar band and there's not a lot in the middle. And it's really interesting how much money is in the middle. A lot of my artists, for example, then I'll touch base on your question about managing. A lot of my artists are from the 90s. And people all the time go, why do you want a 90s artist? Why don't you go for some of the newer, hotter artists? And I go, you want to know the exact truth? Because the 90s artists have history. They have hits. They get paid less, but their market is older. It's an established, built-in market that I know we can sell out. Mm -hmm. And they have money. And it's more consistent, probably. It's consistent, and Mm -hmm. there's more money in that market. So I can sell more VIP. I can sell more. I can sell smaller shows for more money. It's less set up, but it's more VIP. There's Mm -hmm. more sponsor dollars because sponsor dollars are key, too. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Sponsors are not focused. Big sponsor dollars are not focused on how to sell checks mix to a Mm 25-year-old. There's like one of our sponsors, GMC. They're focused on how to sell a fleet of trucks to an agriculture company. So when I do a, I do a show, I have one coming up, and it's all oil field company people, oil field company owners, and ag owners in Central California. 
So when you do a show like that, GMC comes in and says, every one of those guys buys fleets, fleets of $50,000 trucks. You go to a concert and they're going, this is a bunch of kids who buy $2 bags of Cheetos. Which one do you want to be a part of? Mm -hmm. The numbers are very, very different. So that's where we focused on not necessarily trying to be the top dog anymore, but you try to focus on that middle thing that you were saying a lot of people don't look at. It's interesting because in any career that you look at, architecture, whatever it may be, it's like people don't see other careers like that. You know, they're like, okay, you guys are doing pretty well. You're in the middle. Okay. Making existing money. Okay. There's some celebrity architects. Okay. They're making a little more, but for music, for some reason, we have this mentality of either poor or Beyonce or someone. So that's really good. But Well, there's money in every pocket, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's the truth is, is that there's, there's plenty of money around in. The goal is really, we always say our goal is not to be rich and famous. Our goal is to make a really good living and have a lifestyle that, that we enjoy. I, I completely control my schedule. My daughter's with me a lot of the time. My daughter's four. She plays drums and she's doing her thing. And <laughs> you'd appreciate that. My yeah. daughter, I, I bought a new set of uh, electronic drums. Mm-hmm. And the other day she goes, dad, grab your guitar. And I grab it and I sit down and she goes, one, two, three. And she starts playing her drums. And then she goes, and stop. And then <laughs> she stops and I stop and she's like, high five. Good job, dad. And she's four. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is that I get that. I don't go to a nine to five. I get, the, I get the privilege of being home with my daughter when I want. She goes to set up shows, you know, all these things and our other kids as well. We're really trying to financially support a lifestyle. We're not trying to be rich and famous. We're trying to support a lifestyle doing something we enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really the key. So we, we've stopped thinking about how to, how to deal with the top 1% and deal with the middle of the road. Your question about you know, manager, it's kind of a weird job because the, the role of manager has changed tremendously. I always tell people, most people don't need a manager. 99% of artists don't need a manager. What they need is somebody to help them with certain things in their life. And there's a lot of revenue streams now. So even though we manage an artist, long gone are the days that I'm going to take 10% of your life just because I exist in your life. I don't do that with any of my clients, not one. It's kind of like we're going to partner up on a lot of deals, but in society, people still need somebody to talk to. If you went to go to a concert and you want to do a podcast with an artist afterwards, you're probably not going to go right up to the artist who has security or something. You're going to go, where's the manager? Where's the agent? Where's the publicist? And you're going to want to get through that and talk to somebody, a representative for that artist. So that's what people need is they need someone to speak on their behalf that understands their goals, what they're doing, not doing. So that's kind of where it is, is that you're just facilitating and being a voice for that artist. And so, my daily life could be anything from setting up a show for somebody. It could be, it could be dealing with an agent. It could be dealing with merchandise. It could be setting up interviews. It could be an artist calling and going, Hey man, you know, my hometown, we're thinking about doing this and how would we go about doing that? And we might set up an entire show for an artist and, and four wall a show for them. And it could be something as simple as, Hey, I got sent this contract to do a couple of shows. Can you look at it and tell me if it's good? So there's a lot of, lot of, it's no longer like, let me see everything, let me do everything. I get 10% whether I do anything or not. So sometimes you're working for free and sometimes you're getting paid extra. It just, it mm-hmm. all depends. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point about partnerships. That's something I keep hearing often. 
So what is something that you've come across in your, in your career that you didn't expect? I fell in love with the process. I always say I have three loves in this life. And my three main loves in this life are my beloved, my, my other half, um, the kids. And I love the process of music. And when I say I fell in love with the process, I tell people my favorite time of show day. Game day for me is everything's set up. I'm nervous as hell because I know that we've been spending however much time setting up this show. And it's nervous. It's nervous for weeks or months. And you get to that point and your sound guys out there, we're sitting at front of house and it's time to start doing sound check. And there's that moment. And it always, for me, it's one thing. It's when the drummer gets up there and he's going to do sound check. And through the front house, I hear this explosion of the kick drum and the toms. And I'm like, oh, there it is. And I know, and for some reason in my, in my soul, I go, it's going to be okay now. Because that's my signal that we're here, we're set up. Not only are the speakers working and everybody's on stage, when you hear that, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's all going to be okay. And mm-hmm. that's, for whatever reason, that's my favorite part of the entire process is when I hear the drummer do sound check. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of that signal, you know, everything's hooked up, right? The stage, nobody fell through the stage. The speakers are hooked up. The microphones are working. They're starting to test lights. I know we've already got ticket sales. I'm not worried about that, but it's just that emotional kick that goes. And I just, I get, I literally get chills every time. And I'm like, oh, I love this. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys, it's really funny. I'll get, I'll get asked to go to a lot of shows to hang out with artists. And I'll go, can I just come to sound check? And I'll go to sound check and I'll be just like, ah, I just go nuts, right? And then they're like, are you going to hang out? I'm like, no, I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> it's really funny because I don't really go to bars. I'm not a bar guy, I'm not a big drinker and all that. And so I'll, I'd rather be home at night with my family. But it's really funny that I will go to sound check and be like, okay, I'm out. And they're like, what? You missed the best part? I'm like, no, I just got the best part. Yeah, the drummer is always the best part. Yes. Yeah. You should know. <laughs> but that's so- the thing is, is that you, you fall in love with the process. You don't fall in love with like, it's not the money. It's mm-hmm. not the, the fame. It's on all these things. You just fall in love with the process. And one of the things that you said, you asked a question ago, what was one of the things I didn't expect? I think growing up, I was very fortunate my father worked in security for a movie studio. He actually ran security for a, for a movie studio. And I got to be around celebrity my whole life. But I was never, I was always viewing it from a distance. So I had a glimpse of it, mm-hmm. but I never understood it. And my dad told me stories and things like that. And so it was interesting. But then as I got into the business, um, and you're dealing with TMZ and you're dealing with all the things that go along with paparazzi. That mm-hmm. was probably my greatest, like, this is really weird. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple situations this year where, for me, I look at my, a lot of my artists, there's a handful that are really close friends, and they're just incredible human beings. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's a very intense thing when you go, you have to go someplace. And my job as a manager is really to get positioned between them and a situation that could possibly happen. If I have guys that are married around me, I know this sounds really weird, but my job is to protect their marriage, their kids, their reputation. All these things are so important to me that I look at it and go, my job is really to be a buffer between their character, their goals, their family, 
creating less of a fight situation at home because there was a picture that didn't need to be out there. Yeah. Um, some of my friends' bands, they have rules, you know, when they do, when they do pictures against a step and repeat for VIP, your hands are always, you know, six inches off of a woman's back and there's, mm -hmm. there's security on each side watching. There's a million precautionary measures that people don't really know. And I think that was probably a big drawback for me of how much protection went into just protecting those small things that you thought it's really about playing music. And then there's, and the things I'm talking about right now are really the majority of your time, much more than even the music. That's a good, that's a good point. You always have to be thinking one step ahead, protecting your artists, protecting yourself. Um, so that's great that you do that. So you mentioned you lived in Nashville and I've heard this debate of, okay, should I be, so like, let's say for someone starting out, should I be in LA? Should I be in Nashville? Should I be in London? Do you have, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you're talking about like, I'll, I'll just stick with the U.S. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about the music scenes being um, L.A., Austin, Nashville, Atlanta, and then there's pockets of scenes, obviously Minnesota's got a cool scene. I think there's a lot of information that has to do with what you're trying to accomplish. I'm going to be honest. I am not a fan of Nashville. I didn't like it there. I don't like it. It is a very fake, flicky um, superficial town and I don't like pop country music I just don't I like traditional country music and when you get to a point where you're hearing music that has no instruments in it and it's like and, you're, and they're rapping and you're going and nobody says anything and I'm going okay and I think what for me happened was I noticed that a lot of the purists the country guys the, the label executives and people in Nashville instead of going we're going to keep it country what they said was, is we'll do anything for a dollar. We'll sell, we'll sell our soul for a dollar and then we'll justify it. Instead of just going, why don't we just separate the genres? And I'm going to go back to what you were saying in a minute about asking about the different cities. But the funny thing was, as I said, the interesting thing about Nashville was if we went to Snoop Dogg and said, here's what we're going to do. From now on, we're going to get all of your rappers, right? We're going to get Dre and Cube and you you know what I mean? So, you know, and we're going to get them all together and you're going to wear a belt buckle and you're going to wear a cowboy hat, Wranglers and Justin boots. And we're going to put fiddles and steel guitars and all your rap songs. They'd be like, get the hell out of here. What the hell's wrong with you? That's never <laughs> going to happen. And country music goes, will we sell more records? Will, will young girls buy our music? And they went, yep. And they go, okay, we'll do whatever we want. So we kind of look at a lot of things as Nashville killed country music. So a lot of, when you go to Austin, and I'll, I'll go back to that, Nashville to me is a, it's a tourist trap now. It's very much about tourism. And if you're in a pop, if you have a bro cut, Italian zipper boots and skinny jeans, and you can program a drum machine, Nashville is the spot. It is absolutely the spot. And then you can call it country and sing about beer and trucks and cut off jeans, right? So it's perfect. So I'm not a fan of Nashville, but if you like those things, that's the place yeah, to Yeah, if, if you're one of those people, you fit in that's your spot <laughs> the scene i grew up in was really big here in bakersfield was big for old country music obviously the band corn is from here uh, so we had a new metal scene and we had a country scene in the 70s and 80s we had a big old school country scene which is we're starting to revive here we've got a lot of artists now we're, we're dealing with a lot of clubs here and and the new metal scene had corn and, and ryan shuck from orgy and edema and all these bands who were platinum huge bands were new metal so that scene is here. We're developing rock again here, but we're a very small pocket. Minnesota has a small pocket. Atlanta is, is an, always an emerging scene, um, even in country now, country and rap and hip-hop and, and all that. And to me, the strongest music scene that I would suggest anybody going to is go to Austin. 
Austin, you can be rock, you can be Americana, you can be traditional country. If you're George Strait or you're Post Malone or you're um, an Americana act or you're John Mayer or you're anything, you'll find your place in Austin. And I think that Austin has the most diversity. It has the most creativity. It has the most tolerance for the ability to say, that's okay for you to be different. Mm-hmm. It's not like natural that says, this is the way we do it. There's only a handful of people that do everything and we're not gonna let you in. LA is a unique market because it's kind of like, there's a, it's, it's got a legendary presence, but it's not really a scene anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like it's people, like Hollywood. Hollywood's cool. The club scene's dying. Who's doing stuff there is dying. The labels are dying. And the, the, long, ver- the, sh- the long version of a short, what should have been a short answer, um, I would say Austin. Austin or Atlanta. It's interesting that you touched, you know, on those kind of like LA dying. Do you, you think it's even necessary to be in those places? Can a small regional artist make a full-time living in music? Regional artists... Hundred percent can make it. Like that goes back to that ten mark, get a hundred people, and how mm-hmm. do you grow it? That's a that's a that's a numbers game. That's a math equation. Mm-hmm. So no matter where you are, there's markets around you, mm-hmm. and you can do that. What a bigger music scene offers you is connections, because as mm-hmm. you're going to grow, you're not going to run into a music industry executive where I live. The truth is, everybody in the music business hangs out together here. If we go out to eat. We'll go to the same little dive breakfast joints and everybody already knows us and they know that, oh, look, there's the table and there's all the guys, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. It's over. If you go to LA and you go to any club, any restaurant, you're going to run into somebody that knows somebody that might have access to a label, a promotion company, Mm -hmm. a social media development group, someone who does branding, someone who's got, who just finances artists. Mm -hmm. So, or maybe someone who's going to be involved with Netflix and maybe can get you a, a, a deal that will help promote a reality we, a, a friend of ours just got a reality show on netflix he's a country singer out of la and so there's there's definite benefits to connections in bigger cities but you don't need them to be successful financially and to build your your zone yeah it's really important especially now most people have access to home recording equipment and things like that um but yeah the network is really important what are some challenges that you see new artists make or what do you see as like a big issue that they confront as they're starting out? They're not paying attention to how to make money, how to like be wise about their decisions. I, I think that the two things that I would say was they don't know how to make money. They know how to post. They know how to get, they know how to get traction on social media. They don't know how to monetize their traction. So that's a huge problem. They don't. They look at it and go, I'm an influencer because I got a lot of hits. Well, that doesn't mean you're influencing anything. That means you've got a lot of views. What happens is, is that when a sponsor is willing to put money into you because you influence those people to, be, to make purchasing habits, then you become an influencer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had the privilege of being around some huge influencers and learned a lot from their business models, what they do and why they do it. And you say, this guy's right under him. He makes a tenth of the money. Why? Because this guy makes dumb decisions. This guy makes great, smart decisions. The other side would be, I don't think people put enough emphasis on what they're doing and why. For example, when they're looking at a career, I told our kid, I said, you know, I told him, I said, you can't focus on one platform. Social media is 100% the way that things are going to keep growing and progressing. It's the new platform for, for distribution and for access to music, right? And then 
any types of social media are going to push you towards a live experience. And social media, what they don't think about is how, what they're doing and how is it, number one, for example, I've asked several influencers this, and they'll say, I know so-and-so. They got, they're huge because they're a Vine star. And I go, Vine doesn't exist. There is no Vine stars. Mm-hmm. They got famous for a minute, and then it was gone. And even the threat of TikTok going away. Obviously, we knew it would kind of work itself out. We didn't know how. We didn't know when. Mm-hmm. But what happens when these big platforms just disappear? And someone goes, I've spent all my time and energy building this platform, and before I can even monetize it, it disappears. You don't mm-hmm. control the you don't control the plot. You don't control the business. Mm-hmm. You're just a lucky person for a period of time. So why do you you need to be on, we'll say YouTube, TikTok, you know, you need to go there's a couple new ones out. Obviously, if you're older, be on Facebook if you're an old geezer. But the thing is, is that you need to be on multiple platforms. You need to own your data at some level. You need to still be doing email marketing because it's not because it's the most effective way, but it's because you can control data. Truly. Mm-hmm. You can control your data. And then you can put that data in the systems, which will tell you about the people whose information you have. Mm-hmm. And then that gives you powerful data to take to a sponsor and say, this is what I have. This mm-hmm. is who I have. And they go, great. That's valuable to us. Here's a check. And mm-hmm. that's how you make a living. I think the other half of that is young people, especially are not paying attention to what kind of content they produce. And they don't understand they're creating content that is destructive to their long term. Mm-hmm. It's either destructive to something that might keep a sponsor from wanting to be a part of their platform. Young people forget the fact that just because young people watch young people videos, they aren't the ones that write big checks from Nestle or Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. That's a middle-aged person, man, woman, whatever. But they're, you know, it's, there's somebody middle-aged probably that has a different set of values than their kids has a different set of criteria than their kids mm-hmm. and says, if you do this, I'm not writing you a check. So kids go, well, I'm going to go jump off a roof into a pool and slam my head. It's going to be funny. And they're going to go, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That's irresponsible. And yeah, it's funny. Great. There's no way in the world I'm paying a dollar from that. And I don't want, I would never want a kid to see that and do it. And they're going, but I'm an influencer. No, you're not. Cause I'm not writing you a check. So, mm-hmm using content that's good for that thinking strategically about what kind of content is wise is helpful to your career and has a plan and so i think that from a music perspective the most successful people i've seen even as influencers are people that they make a plan they have a team around them and they're they're wise even though they're they're i always say this just because you're a social media influencer and you're not swinging a hammer it's a much better job to make videos that are fun for a living, but you still have to have a plan. You still mm-hmm. have to have a business structure. You just have a, mo- a more enjoyable way of making a living than swinging a hammer. Mm-hmm. So I think the two things that make a more controlled and concerted effort about how you control and dictate your content. And then how do you pay attention to the money and the math of what you're doing and understanding your data? Yeah. Yeah, no, those are really good points. What are your goals for the next 12 to 24 months? all the success you've achieved what are some things that you're looking forward to covid was uh the virus as horrible has has been as an epidemic and as as from a health perspective i you know i never want to devalue that at all but put a pin in that over here it's been great for our business and the fact that we've had to restructure relook at things and we like wow this is really a great time to rethink about what the next couple of years look like we're, we've been meeting with sponsors. We're going to do less touring, but bigger tours. So, you know, we, we went out and we bought all of our own sound lights, everything. So we own everything when we do a concert. Mm-hmm. 
So when you have your own coaches and trailers and sound and lights, you have a lot more options of what you can put sponsorships and what you can do. And so we're going to do more touring. I mean, less touring, but, you know, with more artists, but do less shows and mm. just bigger shows. And we're doing a show next month, which is really interesting, is that we had a bunch of major celebrities that were like, hey, I don't want to come out and do the show, but we're doing video pipe-ins. And we're like, and they loved it. And people are like, oh, this is cool because it's interactive and, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, there's a cool time that people feel like they're still getting a special presence, mm-hmm. but it costs a fraction of the cost. And then it's like, it's just, everything is changing, but there's becoming ways that everybody can be involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our goal. And I think we're going to develop a few new artists. We haven't done that in a while. We're really looking at, we have a couple new artists, country guys that we're developing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a time to look back and go let's take the old crew and involve a couple new guys and let's use all of our our resources and all of our things and go we've got a couple young guys that are pretty sharp and they're pretty talented and we're like i think we could do something with these guys and so we're kind of just playing with that a little bit nice bringing the new new people into the to the mix yeah absolutely so I just have a few, just like we like to do with our guests, just to make it a little more fun, get to know you a little better. Uh, just some quick round mixer questions. So you ready? Yeah, right, absolutely. So what was your first car? A Toyota van, 1987 Toyota van. Toyota with like an actual van? Or is that just what it was called? No, no. Toyota made this weird lunchbox looking van. <laughs> and my parents had bought that. It was custom though. It had a Yamaha system in it. Oh, and so but it was pretty ghetto, but, but they bought it new and like three years later, uh, it's actually a funny story. The reason I got it was because we went four wheeling in it when I was driving it, it was still my parents' car and we buckled mm-hmm. the frame. And so they were getting get rid of it because it was damaged and they didn't know how it was damaged. So they gave me the car to drive. <laughs> and then one day we were driving around with my dad and he's like, you know, this thing's always driven funny since, you know, I don't know what happened. And my buddy's in the car and he goes, maybe that happened when we were four wheeling. I'm like, shut up, shut up. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, that's what happened. And so that's how I got my car was because we had buckled the frame and they couldn't trade it in or anything. Yeah. They're like, I guess you can keep it. Um, that was it. What is an instrument you wish you could play? That's a great question. I wish I could play. I play the guitar and I played the guitar as a really guitar player on tour. I wish I had the gift like John Mayer, like when I, when it's, he says he doesn't have synesthesia, but just that, like he talks about, I just know where I'm going and it just Mm -hmm. floats Mm -hmm. and it's seamless. And it's just like, I can listen to John Mayer for hours. Just like going, (laughs) you know, I I wish I had that. Got it. The John Mayer superpowers. Superpowers of John Mayer. And Keith Urban. 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 Speaking of superpowers, what was, what is the superpower you wish you had? Not flying because I'm scared of heights, but let's go with, um, I don't know, maybe, uh, I have no idea. I've never thought about that. Maybe seeing through walls, like seeing, like if you wonder what your kids are doing, you're like, you know, they're not, they're not cleaning their room. And you're just like, maybe, you know what? Maybe you can't yell at them through the wall. You want to sing to them. Correct. You want to sing <laughs> yeah, I want to super Clean your room. Up maybe the superpower of singing into their mind without them knowing it and singing in truth of what they should be doing and they follow it. Wow. That's super complicated, but that's, that's a unique one. So if you could have a song play every time you entered a room, what would that be? Like your own theme song? That's a, these are great questions. Um, I don't can't, know. can't believe you don't think about these things all the time. 
cool in the gang. Celebrate good times. That's a good one. That's the first concert I ever went to, and I remember that song, and it was just like it's always been a jam for me. Mm-hmm. What is the secret talent you have? Um, I'm very artistic. I actually got a um, – I, I don't do any art anymore, but when I was a kid, I could, I could pencil and draw, and I actually got offered a full-ride art scholarship and turned it down to art school. So and my dad was always about, like, what were you thinking? And I was like, you know, as a kid, everybody pushed me, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I'm good. And so I didn't do it. Like, I'm too good for this. Uh, What is the best piece of advice you ever received? Probably two things, two pieces of advice I got thrown in there. One was my granddad always taught me, just remember, you can only spend a dollar once. What's its purpose? Mm -hmm. And knowing what you do and why you do it, because... Most people just spend and all of a sudden they go, now I'm broken, I'm stressed. He's like, just, you can have fun with it, but make sure you know where all your dollars go and kind of divide it appropriately. Mm -hmm. So just being aware of how you spend money. Um, The second thing was, is one of my mentors, he told me that it was very important to surround yourself with people. And I'm older than you, but um, his advice was surround yourself with people that you can trust with your woman, your wallet, and your kids. He goes, if you can't trust people like that, they don't need to be in your inner circle. And I think that has been a, probably the greatest piece of advice that's affected my life. So I follow that to this day and I tell everybody that, Mm -hmm. um, be very aware of who you surround yourself with and their intentions in your life. Wow. Yeah, no, that's really important about the community and people around you. So also last thing, how can I be praying for you? That's a, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tell you a very interesting thing that happened yesterday. I was talking Mm -hmm. to, um, sounds like you have faith. I do. And uh, I was in a meeting yesterday and mm-hmm. I left the meeting and I felt kind of uncomfortable, but they had, it was a situation where they were offering me something from a concert perspective that I needed very badly mm-hmm. um, and a spot and to do some shows. And I was talking to the guy and I'm having dinner and my beloved, she says, you know, we're talking and she says, hmm, like, it sounds like you already know what the answer is as I'm talking to myself through it. And I looked at him and I said, you're right. And I had felt such a bad feeling about these people. And I didn't, you got to trust your gut, right? And I, and I didn't trust my gut. And I'm sitting there thinking, you're right. I already made this decision. I'm telling somebody else, I'm actually texting one of my artists that we're not going to do this deal. Mm-hmm. Our sound guy, our front house sound guy sends me a Bible verse. He sends me a text message with a picture of a Bible verse that says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve, you know, this and money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it was really funny. Cause I'm like, I got it. I got, it. okay. She has told me, you've told me that this guy sent me, it all happened at one time. And so I think that what I always tell people to pray for us about is clarity. It's easy to, you know, um, my granddad was a preacher. And uh, he used to always say, he's like, he said, God is less concerned with your actions as you think. The church is concerned with your actions. God is concerned with your heart. And as you get your heart right, the actions will change according to your character. Mm-hmm. And he said, if you pay attention to your character and what God's trying to tell you, be okay. And I think that one thing that we always need is clarity to be able to distinguish those voices so that we're following are um, you know the spirit or or your good instinct whatever people call, want to call it who don't yeah. believe but so clarity I think I appreciate that okay yeah clarity um, I'm gonna pray for you real quick and then I'll let you go um, so Jiro thank you for today thank you for 
JJ's friendship and for this time that we get to chat, I pray that you do great things in his life. I pray that you uh, give him clarity for him and his family, and I pray that you continue to bless them and let them know uh, where they're supposed to go, where they're supposed to be, provide the right people around them. Uh, and thank you again for this time that we get to chat, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Sweet, JJ. So I mentioned earlier that you're releasing a book. Yeah. When is that coming out? Is it something you can talk about or not yet? We're making some adjustments because of COVID. Um, mm. <laughs> because the industry is changing so much, mm. and some of the information that we had in there about insurance, there was a lot, it's a lot of business mm-hmm. jargon. And so with that, the insurance industry is changing. Production is changing. So we're making some adjustments, and then probably within the next couple months. I mean, it's just a matter of – and then I have a few people contributing that are celebrities that we're trying to get the approval from their management and stuff mm-hmm. to insert. But, you know, and we're – we're excited about it because there's a lot of great information that, again, our heart with a lot of our projects is simply that people are able to, you know, we surround ourselves with people that are good people. Mm-hmm. We surround ourselves with great human beings. And our goal we talk about so much is that I'm very blessed. I have a lot of celebrities around me and I've surrounded myself with celebrities to when we're having a conversation we're not talking about my latest investment or their, you know, their latest album. It's, Hey man, how's your, you know, how's your family doing? How's this going? Mm-hmm. How's that? And it's really, really a cool thing. And so we're, we're in the business of a book that's not only about business, but it's like, Hey, how do we help you have a living, make mm-hmm. a living and make money to where you can support your family. You can do something you enjoy. And as you're doing something fulfilling, it will affect your attitude towards your family and your community mm-hmm. and shape you. So it's, it's trying to really give people the tools to be better community leaders, fathers, husbands, better financial managers, and live a life that they were designed to live in. It's really, if I could tell one quick story too, do you know who Kurt Cameron is? Yes. So Kurt Cameron was on a show called Growing Pains mm-hmm. in the, the 80s and was hugely successful globally. And he was like the biggest teen heartthrob of a decade on TV and stuff. And um, he's a pastor now mm-hmm. uh, in Southern California. And we were doing a project. And I'll never forget this. I was taking my grandma to a concert that weekend at a church. And I'm not super religious. I mean, I'm, I'm a Christian, mm-hmm. but I don't focus on like it's all about going to every Bible study at church. But your character has to be right. Mm-hmm. So I told, I told Kirk, I said, you know, hey, man, I said, I'm, I'm taking my grandma to this concert this weekend. He's a big celebrity, you know, and we're, we're going out that weekend or whatever. And my grandma wasn't in the church or anything. And, and I was just taking her to get her out of the house. I get a call on, I think it's like Monday morning or Tuesday morning. And he calls and he's like, Hey man, how's it going? I said, good. And I didn't know why he was calling because normally when we would talk, it was all about business. Like mm-hmm. it was just about like, I mean, like he would usually, we might talk about family things in the conversation, but he would only generally start the conversation or call because there was going to be a question about filming or business or something. Mm -hmm. And he called me and he said, I've been thinking about your grandma all weekend. Okay. And he Mm -hmm. goes, I was praying for her. And he goes, I just wanted to know how, how she enjoyed the show, the the concert at the church on Saturday. I was like, she loved it. And he's like, it was good. And he goes, awesome. And, And he goes, did she like have a response to it? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, you know what? There was a seed planted. I said, cool. You know, and we were just, I, the only reason he called me was to say, this is like a big time celebrity calling me. He says, man, your grandma's been on my mind for the last three days. Mm-hmm. 
that like changed my life, changed my entire perspective. I had a friend of mine who's pretty famous this last week he had surgery and I just called him and I said, do you need anything to do this or to do that? And it was just like, and his wife was kind of blown away. It's like, oh, okay. Wow. These people are like trying to consider your needs, not ask mm-hmm. you for something. And I thought, and that be- became kind of a, a standard in our business model of how are you doing? How's your wife doing? How's your kids doing? How's this going? How are things really going in your life? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, that's been, that's been a big part of things. Yeah, no, that's really important. Quincy Jones, actually, I'm going through his book and all the people that talk about him mention how he worries about people's personal lives. He tells them, hey, that part is more important than the music. Like, you know, you're an artist already, but the personal things are what's going to carry you. Well, so, if you yeah. think about it, when you're a celebrity and you're bombarded with thousands of people that want something from you and it's all superficial, it's very hard to hone in on a group of people who actually care about you. So when you find them, they better be genuine. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like, you know, you learn. And I always say it's funny because like we always joke and say, if anybody was to tap our texts or our phone calls, we'd be in trouble. Because it's really what it is. It's not that it's something inappropriate. It's that it's something that these you become friends and you, you're, you have to have those conversations you can't have with anybody else. Mm-hmm. So you might call and be frustrated at your wife or something. And it's not that you're saying anything bad, but it's just like that's your venting time. It happens mm-hmm. to be within a close group. So it's interesting because when you're like a Quincy Jones, yeah, your artists become your friends. You become their, their sounding board, their, their confidant. You know what I mean? And so it's a, it's a whole different relationship than people think. And that's, that's one thing that's really important because I mentioned this in another episode there. Anxiety and depression take over artists really quickly. And a lot of them mentioned, you know, when they go on tour, they're away from their community, their people. Absolutely. And so they need that, you know, we're all humans. We're meant to live in community. And it's really important to have those kinds of friends that you have. They can call you out on things. They can be there during your highs, your lows, and you can count on them at all well, times. Well, even like with like, they say that artists, they say the musician community has like 73% have struggled with mental illness of some sort. Mm-hmm. Well, that's tough. And what we've learned is that if these guys share similar values, two younger guys that like to chase girls, great, you guys go out together. Well, you guys are older guys and these guys are this age and they're both married and they like to travel together. Mm-hmm. We, we've literally learned to like, you guys go do this together. So you're not going to struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys don't want to be away from your wives. So why don't you two artists go out, take your wives with you. Mm-hmm. We'll schedule your touring so that you can have your wives go on vacation in between. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to integrate life in with it. And there's, it's very tough because sometimes you have to, it was just funny. I was just getting a text from the person I was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be careful because our business is very sketchy. It's very sketchy. So you have to say that this guy doesn't go out with this guy because his wife's more nervous. And if he goes out with this guy, it's going to make her really nervous at home. And my job is for her to feel safe. Well, these guys just want to go chase tail. Okay, let's go send you guys out and you do what you do. Don't let it affect mm-hmm. anybody else. Hey, you two guys, you're married. You want to take your wives on a vacation. Let's do this. So when you do that, you not only gain the support of the artist, you gain their wife, you gain their kids, and it makes their life safer, more fulfilling. And it, especially for women, and this is just me, but the, the wives, you know, all of our families, 
our job is for them to feel safe and protected and that when they go out there, it's, you know, or when I'm out there, it's very easy. You know, it's, it's for, for women to come up and things like that. And when we say, these are the rules, these are the guidelines, we don't do this. Mm -hmm. Funny story. We were at a show last year and one of my artists, and he's one of my really close friends and we were at a show and these girls come up to me after the show and they're like, Hey, we'd like to hook up with you guys and blah, blah, blah. And they're like telling me some crazy stuff they want to do. Mm -hmm. And I very politely said, ah, I'm okay. I'm going to pass. I said, you know, we've got the kids. <laughs> I said, we've got the kids and grandma and grandpa with us. And that's not really my scene. And mm-hmm. I'm going to pass, but thank you. And, and the girl goes, you don't have to lie and be an ass. You can just say you're not interested. <laughs> I, I said, I said, that's not who I am. And I am not interested. But I said, I opened the bus door and the kids were watching Toy Story 3. I think mm-hmm. it was making slime, eating popcorn and grandma and grandpa were on the bus. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, dang. And I said, look, we're family guys. We're not into that. We're, we're, our kids are here. And it was almost like this look of disappointment. And the thing is that we, create that, in, that we create that atmosphere and that accountability to where I think if you were to talk to my better half, she would go, I have no worries in the world whatsoever because we never allow, we never put ourselves in situations. You know, a lot of guys will tell me, they're like, my wife is mad because I didn't want to go to this place, but the guys went and I didn't do anything wrong. And I go, well, you're an idiot. If you were there in the first place, mm-hmm. you, you set yourself up for disaster. You knew that yeah. you may not have done anything wrong, but you set yourself up. And I said, my rule is like, what's really funny is I work in, and I market social media kids and all my artists, we promote primarily on social media. I have no social media, but Facebook and somebody jacked my Facebook account and Last night, she asked me, she's like, did you ever fix it? I'm like, no. I haven't even posted anything in like a year. Mm-hmm. I have no social media. And I'm like, I have no need for it. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's funny for me personally. So it's funny that like when you create those safe zones and you create that, this is my do's and my don'ts. You get to do all the things you love to do, which is work in music and have fun and all these things. But you also create the, the safety of, you create the respect of the people in your life. Mm-hmm. you create the safety of going home and you're not going to get bitched at by your woman. You're going to get embraced by your woman. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that's huge. You're going to have your kids aren't left out while daddy goes away. My daughter, like it was, we had a situation where my daughter actually, when she was two, she climbed on stage and she had a little ear things on and she's banging on an amp. Like it's a percussion drum. Mm-hmm. The guitar player is looking at me laughing and I go, and the crowd's going nuts. And I'm like, okay and I like slide on stage and grab her <laughs> floor and they're clapping and so it's not the only reason that can even happen is because they're involved in life mm-hmm. and hopefully like when the kids you know like um one of our kids Friday we have a show I think he's going to be running lights you know what I mean so it's like mm-hmm. it's it's a cool thing when they're backstage and you go oh there's little one and this one's running lights and there's this and everybody's hanging out and it mm-hmm. just creates such an incredible lifestyle mm-hmm. And I know it's different for young people because they're out there trying to have a drink and get laid. And that's just like, that's what they're doing. And I, that's their business. But when you get older, you realize, Oh, I'm protecting my future. I'm protecting my family. I'm Mm -hmm. protecting the most valuable relationships that I have. And it's very tough in this business to do that. So you have to create protective measures in order to, you have to create the bubble. Mm -hmm. That's really great to hear because many people don't see that. And to set those boundaries, make sure they're in place. That way, kind of like you're saying, like setting those rules. Hey, this is, it's not like it's keeping you from certain things, but it's actually helping you 
thrive in other areas. So I have a one-year-old and I'm married and it's just fun being with him. I have an electric drum set and he's one and he, I think he started playing maybe when he was like five months, he would like take the drumsticks and like he knows. So the lower toms he can hit. So he always, he's go hit those. And then he likes to sit on my lap. And so it's just fun to do those things with them. And kind of like you're saying, it creates a really fun life. So it's really cool that you guys are doing that. Well, yeah, my dad, it's got the, the Simmons electronic drums and the, the lower tom wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And so she got underneath and she was checking the, the quarter inch uh, connection. And then she was going over to the box. And now she's not only trying to play the drums, but she's mm-hmm. like, something's not working. I got to check the chord. Yeah. Connect. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, you're going to see her in the back on the show just with headsets calling people out like, hey, left speaker needs some more trouble. Well, what's funny is, and this is a part that I don't talk about a lot, but so my daughter's autistic and I found out later in life, in my adult life, I found out that I have Asperger's and autism. And it was really funny because it, it became something that we connected on and it became this tool that we used. And it's funny. And so my mom made the comment. We used to watch this comedian years ago. And he would say, they'd say, what was your connection to your kid? And he'd say, we're both ADD. And we just sit in a room and we bob. <laughs> and so my mom laughed. And she says, that's you guys now. She said, um, she said, that's your connection. And so I sit in there and I play. And she plays. And I play my guitar and she plays. And we just sit around and look at each other and do our thing. And, and, it's, and it's such a cool thing because you – for her, it's therapy as well. And it's just amazing. And, you know, it's it's the same guy I told you said that he said, be careful who you surround yourself with. Make sure you can trust him with your woman, your, your wallet, and your kids. He also had a great comment that I found to be true about a million times in my lifetime. And he said, God always gives you what you need when you need it, not a moment before or a moment after. So many people are praying going, I have, this is one of my problems with churches. They say, you have a desire, you pray for it, and God will do it. That's assuming God doesn't have it in control already. Mm-hmm. And his comment was always, God has you under his wing. He has you in his hand, and you're important to him all the time. So he's saying, God's going to give you what you need, when you need it, not a moment before or a moment after. Yeah. And I think about that a lot, and it looks at the people that you're surrounded with. Like yesterday, I told you, when I'm – not struggling, but I was having this conversation with these guys and I knew something was off. She's telling me something. One of my guys is telling me something and I'm getting a text with a Bible verse and every one of it links up. What are the odds mm-hmm. that all this is going to happen at one time? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, that's, or that's, that's, that's God's infinite wisdom. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like so many times that we just, um, you know, when I look at my daughter, if my daughter hadn't had an alarm going off there, um, <laughs> I never found out I was autistic till after we found out my daughter was autistic. After I had all the research I needed from finding out from what she's gone through medically and stuff. And I'm going, huh. Then I find out the reason she even has it is because I was autistic. We find out then of where it came from, from me. And you go through this line and I'm like going, would I have been emotionally or mentally able to handle that information had I not gone through that with her? Mm-hmm. Would I be able to be the connected father that I am? had we not found out both of us would people in my family, would they have the understanding for me or her if they didn't have that information? And you realize that it all comes at a time when it's just interesting that it it, it kind of coincides with that. He gives you what you need when you need it, Mm -hmm. not before or after. And it's, and I'm always fascinated that when we look outside of ourselves 
And we stop going, here's what I want, when I want it, how I want it, with who I want it. And you go, I'm just going to throw it up. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw it up. You know, and it was really interesting. One of, I told you that, um, I don't know if you know who Buck Owens is, but he had a show called Hee Haw and had red, white, and blue guitar and one of the most successful TV shows in history. And he had 21 number one songs. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And his son is one of my clients, but he's also one of my closest friends. And we were talking about that. And he said at a show, he got done with the show and he was very emotional and he looked up and a lady comes up to him and says something like, Oh, you're pointing to God. And he's like, actually I was pointing to my dad, but I, I, I think my dad's up there with God. And we were talking about that. And he goes, it's almost like people didn't know what to make of that. Because if you do this, it has to mean this and it has to be this. And he goes, what if it meant that, but it also meant I was pointing to my dad, but it's mm -hmm. now my dad at the right hand of God. What if it's all these things? And I realized that people get so regimented into it has to mean this. It has to be this. God needs to do this. Instead of just throwing it up and going, I'm pointing up. It could be my dad. It could be my God. It could be my uncle. It could be them together mm -hmm. looking down at me. They could be not paying attention to me. It could be me <laughs> honoring them. We don't know. Yeah. But it's like when we get away from having the, all the answers and for me, it became something that I got away from a lot of the churchy stuff. And I realized that God is good. God is faithful. God is real. And there's a lot of faith and trust involved. And I don't sit around analyzing if somebody, if, you know, the sound guy I told you about, he's the guy I'm going to need next. We're going to meet over about some show stuff. And what's great is, is that I don't sit there and go, why did you send me that verse? What did you mean by that? What were you doing? I just go, mm -hmm. man, you were just something that God used for a minute. I'm so thankful for that, right? On a completely side note, that's one of the things that I would say I would encourage a lot of people to do too in their life is, especially in our industry, the more you can let people know you care about them, that they're important to you, that they have value, to just send somebody a message and go, you know, I sent a message to a guy the other day that I hadn't seen in months. And I just said, hey, I remember your mom was having some issues and I was thinking about her. I just hope you guys are doing well and, you know, I'd love to know how mom's doing. Like they wonder like, well, what do you, what did you, what did you actually need? Mm -hmm. I wanted to know how your mom was doing. I don't want to need anything from you. I just, and we, we live in a community that we've forgotten to do that, to mm -hmm. say that you have value, especially in the celebrity world. I had one friend that I was dating this girl years ago and he said, uh, he just came to me one time and he said, I'm, I'm sitting at Starbucks in Los Angeles. And he calls me and says, I just need to tell you that girl is bad news and she's not good for your character. She doesn't bring the best out of what your character is. Huh. And this is a celebrity celebrity. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, I appreciate that. Right. And it's like things like that, that you go, the heart becomes very different. And so it's, it's a, in our world, as your world becomes what people want to become. And, and the, I don't think celebrity is that important, but a lot of people do think it's important. And when they do think that's their perspective on it, we realize that the general population's perspective on how important celebrity is becomes the general perspective. I always say it's really funny when, um, when someone comes up to me and says, I don't care about celebrities. They just put their pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. That's generally the first person that wants to be backstage. That's the first person that wants to meet them. That's the first person that's got something to say. And I've looked at that and realized that they are normal people, but most people don't see them as normal people. So the few people that are able to see them as normal people, we have a different responsibility to give them the gift of normalcy.
and to let them know that they're important, their kids are important, their wife is important, their insecurities are okay. Yeah. Celebrities are very insecure. You're, it's okay that you're insecure. It's okay you're having a shitty day. It's yeah. really okay, man. And I'm here for you. It's just normal people. They're human beings that want to be loved, want to be understood. So I ended up joining this one of this Facebook group and it has like producers, songwriters and things like that. And it was interesting. There's one in particular out of the other ones that I joined and it'll be someone asking for some inputs like, Hey, I just released this song. I love your input. What do you guys think? And I was going to write something. And so I clicked a comment and everyone had just put their own links. No one is even like bringing any value to that person who's asking for input. So it's like, Hey, check out my link, check out my link. And I feel like most people don't think about others in the way that you're talking about thinking of yourself less looking at other people that, Hey, how can I serve you? Like, I love praying for people. Like that's, I go through my phone. I'll randomly check up on people. Hey, how can I be praying for you? Things like that. And same thing you were mentioning, you check up on other friends, people check up on you. And I feel like, yeah, that's really important because we do need that, especially in music. Kind of like you were saying, like most people don't really go into that. It's crazy. Yeah. So I was in, I was in Vegas. I work a lot in Las Vegas. And the Chamber of Commerce in Las Vegas is the biggest Chamber of Commerce in America. Mm. And they service the business of Las Vegas. The Las Vegas Strip is very segregated and different than the city of Las Vegas. Most people don't know that. They're very different entities. And so I went in there and they were talking about doing some things. And I walked into the meeting and I, and I went to this group of people. And we were talking about, they said, they obviously had some thoughts on what they wanted from us. And we were talking about, expanding our business to Vegas and they knew who we were and we were having these conversations and I'll never forget this. And the lady looks across and she says, well, what are you looking to do? And I said, we're looking to serve the city of Las Vegas. And she says, what do you mean? And I said, we want to know how we can serve your community. What can we do for you? And how can we service not the Las Vegas strip? How can we service the community and nonprofits and these are, these are the services and things that we do. How can we benefit the city of Las Vegas? And there was another guy in the room, and I had talked to him before. Really good dude, Joe. And I remember talking to him. And he, I looked across, and he's kind of smiling because I think he got it. And I said, I have all that I need. I have a nice living. I have all my needs met. I have an amazing family. I have all these things. I have everything that I want. My friends are celebrities. I work in the business of my dreams. I have everything that I want. How can I help your local cancer society? How can I help your local autism society, local churches, whatever it is? How can we service and make your community better because we're blessed in what we do? And nobody knew what to do with that information. Mm -hmm. And they did what you said. They didn't put links up, but they said, well, here's the program that we're doing. And here's the program. And there were this. And they kept taking it away. And I said, it's about service. And we went through that. And and it's been very difficult to get them to understand what we mean. And I thought that's really weird because it's an organization serving their community businesses. And yet we tell them we're here to help them serve. They had no idea how to do it because it's really about, we can post your information. We can offer a mixer, but it's like, no, 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 no. When, when the cancer society can't afford $10,000 for sound and lights to put on a, a charity run, how can I donate this? How can I do this? How can I do this? And they're like, they look at protocol and all these things. And I thought that's the tough part about our community. Like you said, they're putting links up in the box instead of saying, 
you know, it's kind of like I, I watched a movie one time. It was talking about this girl who calls a suicide hotline. And the suicide hotline says, I'm not qualified to handle this. Let me give you another number. And she keeps getting filtered through. And it just takes somebody going, I'll talk to you. Yeah. You don't need an expert. You need, you need a listening ear. When you put yourself in the role of I care, I know I'm telling a lot of stories, but I was in Las Vegas and we were walking down Fremont Street and there was a band playing. And this homeless lady comes up to me and she looks drugged out and everything else. And she just starts telling me the story and starts bawling. And she starts telling me the story of her kids. And one of her kids had died in prison and the other child was strung out. And she's telling me this whole story. And she's talking and talking and talking. And I sat there and I just let her talk. And I was like, this is like in the middle of a concert. And she's just, I'm in the back and she's just telling me. And she's talking and talking and talking. I listen. And she goes, and she looked at me at the end of her conversation. And she goes, I'm not crazy. I'm just a hurting mom. I was like blown away. I'm like, she's like, I'm not a crazy woman. I'm just a hurting mom. I've lost my kids. I don't want money. I don't want anything. Thank you for listening to me. Cause I didn't move. I didn't ignore her. I didn't tell her to go away. I didn't anything. And I'm just like going, all she needed was someone to go. It's okay to be a hurting mom who lost her kids. Blow, blew me away. She's like, I'm not asking for anything. And I thought, how many people have that same experience? It's just literally like, I don't need money. I don't need this. I just need someone to care. It's like, wow. And I would have given her money if she asked for it. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah. funny, but it's like so funny and I remember my granddad, he used to always tell me he would give, everybody would ask him for money. Everybody's asking for money. And he'd always give it to him. And he said, you know, the truth is, he goes, if I give two bucks here and there, at the end of the day, 30 bucks doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything in my life. And for most of those people, they might blow it on something stupid. He goes, but for that one person a day that needed the hope, that needed a hamburger, that needed something, he goes, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not our judge. It's not our job to sort out who we think is crazy, who we think is this, that our mm-hmm. job is just to go, you know what? I'm blessed. Here's 20 bucks. I, mm-hmm. You know, I've got, I've got five minutes to listen to you. Absolutely. I've got an hour to listen to you. I've got, you know, you know, time to go drive if you break down or whatever. I've lived a life that's had some great moments of being a good guy. And I've had some really shitty years of being a touring alcoholic and I've gone the extreme. And at the end of the day, you just realize and go, I'm going to fail. But if I can kind of get a glimpse and kind of hold on to a little bit of going, that's kind of what God's character is like. How do I hold on to that coattail? What's that, what's that Bible parable where it talks about the woman who says, if I can just touch the coat, the, mm-hmm. um, the edge of his coattail. Yeah. That's it. Be here. I just, mm-hmm. If I just, if I can just get a, if I, that one little dangling piece, if I can touch the character just a little bit, it's money, but it's just, you know, most people can't do that. Yeah. You know? It's really encouraging. And also when I started coaching musicians and artists and that's pretty much what I started noticing is like they they really just need someone to listen to them, get ideas out, and then I'm just there to facilitate, bring out questions and things because not many people take the time to do that or they just don't show interest or they're not because it's not for them. They're like, okay, I don't have time for you because it doesn't benefit me in any way and that's really good well jj thank you so much for coming on well hopefully we'll have you back because i feel like you have stories for hours and days uh just to share and to learn from someone would want to wanted to reach out to you or the academy that where could they go probably the best place is uh calitone music uh, california 
kellytoemusic.com and okay. if if they if they type a message in there into the comment box i'll get it and um i i pretty much respond to anything anybody ever sends so i never don't respond to a message so i'm open to whatever sweet all right well thank you so much for taking the time i appreciate uh, it and hopefully we'll have you back soon all right have a good one hold up if you gained some great value make sure to rate review and share with someone you care about as a thank you i'll be doing a giveaway for a hundred dollars and or a free 45 minute music career coaching call with me so if that sounds like something you like take a screenshot of your review and tag us on your social media post to be entered into the drawing we'll be doing this every month so see you soon now back to the jam 